Good afternoon, everyone. My name's Ed, if I haven't met you, uh, Senior Minister here at OEC. And it is a special day, isn't it, for our church as we uh, celebrate and pray and uh, look at our commitment each year. And if you are new, uh, enjoy today. Uh, we uh, love having visitors um, and feel no guilt, but enjoy the process that we go through as a church as we think about our money, because uh, we think it is a good gift from God to use well. So why don't we pray and we'll get into it. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a generous God and we thank you that we can meet as your people today as recipients of your grace. And Lord, your word needs again to do its work in our lives and we pray that you would help us to think and pray and wrestle hard uh, as we come before you with all of our lives, including our money. And we thank you for this in Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, thank you, letters. Emails, text messages, they've all got some basic rules. You say thank you, you express appreciation, and you try and explain how you'll use the gift. Dear Aunt Bertha, thank you for the Christmas present. How clever you are. That box set of DVDs of Friends is unique and amazing. We will thoroughly enjoy looking at their covers as we stream the show from Netflix. <laughs> Dear Jimmy, thank you for the coffee cup. It, is a ween it has been a wonderful year as your year two teacher, and that cup will sit on my windowsill and remind me of you. Philippians is Paul's thank you letter to the church in Philippi. Now, where's Paul? The image tells you where he is. He's in jail. He's in jail in Rome and he's alone and in chains. In a Roman prison, if you wanted to eat and you wanted to be warm, you needed help. There were no food. There was no clothes. And the church in Philippi were eager to help. But they were not wealthy. They were not like you guys. They didn't have wallets. They'd experience extreme poverty. But they were desperate to help. And so this little church, it's, they saved hard. And they saved. And then they sent a gift via one of their own, a man called Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus left Philippi and he walked and he rode and he got on a boat 1,400 kilometres to deliver this gift to Paul. And what we read is in verse 18, is that gift from Philippi, Philippi was enough to cover all of Paul's needs. Now you would think that this thank you letter would write itself. But it's a bit of a weird letter, isn't it? It took Paul until chapter 4, verse 10 to say thank you. Whoops. In verse 11 of chapter 4, he says, actually, I didn't really need your present. That's a bit awkward. And actually, he doesn't ask for any more money. Weird. And we know he's desperate. This isn't like a charity letter, right? You know the charity letters you get every year when you give to something and they say, thank you, thank you, thank you for your money. Your money has done this, fed some children, built a school, done a well, made a cow, whatever, right? And you don't make cows. God makes cows. <laughs> We don't record this sermon. Uh, you bought a cow. And uh, 
And then what they do is they say, there are so many other people that need money, so give us more. He doesn't do that. As you you heard it read, he doesn't even talk about the money. Now, no doubt Paul was utterly delighted by Epaphroditus' visit and gift. And we see that in in verse 10, don't we? So have a look at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. He's rejoicing. But his delight is not that he's got a meal. It's not that he's got a new cloak. He rejoices in the Lord for what God has done in the Philippians' heart. You see, this financial gift was the latest evidence of gospel growth in these Christians. Their generosity was the fruit of their faith. Now, Paul's thank you letter, it is weird, but it was so helpful for the Philippians and it is so helpful for us as we talk about and think about Christian giving because there is something very distinctive about Christians and money because our giving is not about the dollars and cents. As you give to church, you're never paying for a service. You're not paying for Greg to run church at four. You're not paying for Karen to run kids ministry. You're not paying for Georgie to be in the office. Nor are you charity giving so that, you know, something can happen to help someone else. No, no, your giving every single year is a reflection of the work of the Lord in your heart. So let's look at this wonderful thank you letter together. Point one, Christian giving is the overflow of contentment. Okay, now what's contentment? Contentment is being at peace with your lot in life. And in the first century and in the 21st century, contentment is hotly pursued. Your neighbours want contentment and you and I want contentment. And interestingly, the Christians in the first century and the Greeks in the first century had two different paths to contentment. The Greek philosophers and the Stoics, they said you can find contentment by detaching yourself from the things of the world. That's like meditation, where you're trying to to loosen your connection to things and develop an inner resolve, like a uh, self-discipline that will enable you to stoically face any circumstance. So where did contentment come in the first century from the Greeks? It came from being self-sufficient. The Christian found their contentment outside of themselves. This was the secret Paul discovered, that contentment, being at peace with your lot in life, whether you've got lots or you haven't got anything, comes from a union with the personal Lord Jesus. That's what verse 13 means. Verse 13, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, we love this door on the back of toilets, right? Like it's just, you know, it kind of cheers us up. Well, I can climb Everest today or, you know, I can do my HSC and get, you know, 100 or I can achieve my life goals with God's help. But actually, that's not what it means in context, is it? If you look at it in context, what Paul is saying is not that you can reach your life goal, but you can face any situation. You can face a time of poverty, unemployment, 
brokenness or complete wealth with contentment, with Christ's help. Why? Because he's unchangeably good. Your bank account, your feelings, your super, your investments, your life will do this. Up, down, up, down. Jesus Christ is unchangeably good. His love is completely constant and abundant. And if you trust him and you walk with him closely through the daily and yearly seasons of nothing or plenty, you will find contentment, peace with your lot. Now, Paul said this is not something you get when you become a Christian. You get complete forgiveness when you become a Christian. You do not get contentment. You've got to learn it. See it there in verse 12? In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. What Paul's saying here is he learnt it while being alone in prison. He learnt it when he was hungry. He learnt how to rely on Jesus for bread and warmth and the ability to get out of bed in the morning and keep going. There's that famous quote, I did not realize Christ was all I needed until Christ was all I had. And we see the evidence of it in the letter, don't we? If you've read Philippians before, you'll know that he goes to prison and he rejoices. Someone tries to steal his fame and he says, that's fine. I'm totally for that person. He's not jealous. And actually, he's threatened with execution and he says, that's fine. I'm excited to meet Jesus. But look at that. He also had to learn it in good times. Because it is often wealth and prosperity that creates restless discontent. We know that, don't we? You look over your back fence and you go, oh man, they've got a good lawn at the moment. How come I've got weeds, they've got no weeds? You know? Or you look over the fence and go, wow, they've got a nice car. Look at Your kids come home from school. Oh, you know what other families do? You go to work and go, but why do they get a promotion? We live in this constant world of discontent, even though we have more money and more stuff than any other time in history. And it's not non-Christians who are discontent. Christians are just as much full of greed and envy and anxiety because we don't have what we want. In our rich world, Contentment does not come from having more. You can have so much more than you've got now, you still won't be content. And it doesn't come from detaching yourself from life through meditation as if the things God has made are kind of bad. No, that's Greek. That's not Christian. True contentment is this. Recognizing in your heart and your mind and your mouth that every single thing you have comes from God. It's a gift. You know your car you drove here this afternoon in? It's a gift from God. You know the three meals you had yesterday and the two you've already had today? It's a gift from God. The three coffees you bought yesterday, the 15 you might buy this week, they're gifts from God. The private school fees you'll pray for your kids, they're a gift from God. Your phone is a gift from God. The paycheck you'll get from this week is a gift from God. Your Centrelink payments are a gift from God. Your overseas holiday 
It's a gift from God. And as you receive the gifts from the generous God, you say thank you and thank you and thank you. And what thankful does is it changes your heart from greed to contentment. Now, contentment and giving, they go together, don't they? Discontent people don't give. Discontent people struggle to give generously because they're driven to keep and protect and keep and protect. But the person whose contentment is found in the never-changing love of Christ, whose grace is rich and abundant, is freed from envy. They don't go to school, they don't go to work, they don't look over the back fence and go, I want that, because in Christ, they've got absolutely everything. And what that means is, they're able and willing to be generous givers, whether it's $1 or more. Now, point two, Christian giving, it is an expression of partnership. Have a look at verse 14, verse 14. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared, the words partnered, no church partnered with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except for you alone. The Philippians' gift to Paul was not an aspect of charity. They didn't go, oh, I feel sorry for Paul, here's some dosh. Nor were they sponsoring Paul as if Paul was the hero and they were kind of just making sure Paul could do his stuff. No, no, their gift was a practical expression of their partnership. Their bond with Paul was like this and their money was an expression of that. Have a look at chapter 1 verse 7. It'll be on the screen. Look what Paul says about them. He says, you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And we see that in the letter, don't we? We see they parted with him through hard times. They gave up meals so Paul could have a meal. And they partnered with him as Paul went through Asia, through Greece, over and over again, Paul says, you gave gifts, you gave gifts, as I preached through Macedonia and Greece. They gave and they received. They were blessed to be part of God's great gospel enterprise. Christian giving is so much more than budgets and needs. Do you know every dollar you give to Jesus in 2022 and in 2023 is an expression of partnership with the person sitting next to you this afternoon? You're saying, I'm with you, you're with me, we are the family, and we are on mission together to make disciples of Jesus in Orange and beyond. Now, you and me, pretty much no one in this room will go to Spain as a missionary, or Italy, or Central Asia. But as a member of OEC, Church at Four, you've already sent 14 missionaries to the world. And you're already partnering with missionaries across the world and Australia. And you and me, we may never teach SRE at Canobolis High School. We may never teach our youth on a Friday night at youth group. But as you give, you're saying, I'm a partner with that. I'm with those leaders. I'm a partner in God's work. And so point three, 
Christian giving is an investment in God's work. Now, whilst the giving helped Paul, it was always bigger than Paul. And that's why Paul uses business language here. It's a bit weird, isn't it? You don't see business language in the Bible often. But here it is. Paul says, you have made an investment that will create a profit. What Paul's saying here is, the Philippians giving, it was an investment in God's work to save a needy world. Have a look at verse 16. Verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for me for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. The Philippians' bank account reflected their investment in God's work. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying they invested multiple times in the birth of Jesus' church in Thessalonica. Just down the road, Paul had gone there and planted this church, and we're going to read that letter in term four. It's going to be great. But behind the letter were the Philippians, who just gave and gave and gave so that Paul could go, he would travel, he would preach, he would plant, he would train leaders, and the Philippians were his financial and prayer partners. And then Paul would move on and the Philippians would support him over and over again. And Paul says... I hope you keep investing when I die. Paul may never get out of prison, but Paul wants them to know you're not investing in me. Christian giving is not a personality cult. You don't give to a person. You give to God's work across the world. Okay, what's the profit or benefit? Well, it's not that they will earn extra love. They will not earn extra eternal life. You can't. The profit flows from being invested in eternal things. Do you know what's eternal? People. People are eternal. Your job's really important. Your school's really important. Your dance is important. Your sport is important. All of those things are important. Do you know there's only one thing that's eternal, that will go beyond the grave? That's people. And that's what God's work's about. He's into people, saving people. And as you invest in God's work, you may never see the dividend. You may give and you go, I I didn't see anything. I don't know what happened in Spain. I don't know what happened at Canopolis. God does. And it's a secure investment. One that God promises will produce a rich and eternal dividend. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in the room 26 years ago? It wasn't like this. It was like a house where people kind of crammed in. And for months and weeks, they talked and prayed about launching a new evangelical Bible-believing church in Orange. Wouldn't you love to have been in the room? It's a bit scary, wouldn't it have been? Should we do this? What will happen? We don't know. Is it worth it? We don't know. Is it going to cost us? Absolutely. Friends, reputation, and most and actually money. One night, that group, they got together and their leaders said, we need to work out if we can do this. We need to raise the funds to invite the first minister to come to OEC. In one night, they raised Martin and Kathy Morgan's stipend. That group invested in the future 
you and me, we're blessed by them 26 years later. That's what it means to invest in God's work. You don't know the future, but God does. What a great reminder that every dollar we give is an investment in God's work. Please never think your giving is about putting food on our missionaries' table. It's not. It's not about paying Karen to run kids' church. It's not about paying staff. It is investing together as partners in God's work. And the overseers and me, we want OEC's bank balance to always reflect God's work. Missionaries sent, missionaries supported, new new churches planted in Australia, great gospel Bible-based ministries run in orange. So finally, Christian giving is an act of worship. Look at verse 18. But I've received everything in full and I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul's had us in the boardroom. He now takes us to the Old Testament temple. And this is to describe the final aspect of Christian giving. Now, the Israelites, as part of their worship, they would bring animals to be slaughtered, to be sacrificed as a way of worshipping God, sometimes for sin, sometimes for praise. And what it was done, it was really messy and awful. It was particularly foul and gross, right? Like a sacrifice, there's nothing pretty about it. And occasionally those sacrifices would come with incense. But what Paul is talking about here is when an Israelite offered their sacrifice to the Lord in faith, it was described as a pleasing aroma. It was acceptable to God. Likewise, in the 1st and 21st century, When you financially give to God with a heart of faith, your gift produces a beautiful aroma and the giving pleases God. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? That you can please God. That I could please God. But we can. Now our giving, it doesn't secure our place in heaven. The sacrifice of Jesus is 100% sufficient on the cross. And our giving actually doesn't even meet God's needs. He gives us the things that we give back to him, right? He doesn't need it. But our giving, it's part of our praise and love and gratitude of who he is and what he's done. And do you know what? Our God is delighted when he sees the family resemblance in you. He's the great generous God and he loves to see his children be generous like his son generous even with their wallets now it's important we don't quickly go over the word sacrifice here see that word sacrifice sacrificial giving pleases God note that sacrificial is not the same as generous It can be possible and is often normal for Christians to be very generous without feeling any impact on their life. They give from their excess, not from their need. What Jesus says 
is God is pleased by sacrifice. That was the point Jesus made when he took his disciples to the temple and pointed out that unnamed widow who put two copper coins, completely worthless, into the temple giving. Jesus says, look at those rich people giving out of their wealth. They're being generous. Look at that woman. She is being sacrificial. She gave up something in order to give it away. And the Lord Jesus noticed her and was pleased by what he saw. Our giving is an act of worship in a wonderful God. So as you consider giving, just reflect on all God has given you. Reflect what he's given to you today. Reflect on what he will give you in the future. As Paul says in verse 19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You don't miss out when you give to God. You are abundantly blessed, not with wealth in this world, but in your relationship with the Lord Jesus now and forever. Let God's grace unlock your heart so you can joyfully and sacrificially give. For when you do, it pleases him. And so commitment 2023. How do you feel every year when it rolls around in October? All of you have come with words in your mind today. Even if you're new, it's like, oh, Christians are talking about money again. right? But what are the words in your head? Some of you are going duty. That's the word in your mind this afternoon, duty. I should do this. Some of you are thinking charity. I should really help someone. Some of you are thinking need. I really should pay for something or I should make sure the staff get paid. And some of you are thinking excuse. I've never given. Everything's fine. I don't need to do it. Duty, charity, need, excuse. Can I say God's given you four better words today? Number one, contentment. Use this month to consider where you're pursuing contentment. If you're a Christian here this afternoon, You have access to abundant satisfaction and peace in your relationship with Jesus. And it it will be your relationship with Jesus, not your consciousness, feeling guilty or burdened or self-discipline, I should do this, that will release your grip on your money and help you be generous. Partnership. That's a good word, isn't it? Contentment, partnership. Do you know if you're a Christian here this afternoon, you're not your own? You were bought with a price. The price was the Lord Jesus' blood. You are bought to be God's child. And you're part of a family. The family of church at four, the family of God. Your giving is an expression of that partnership. So remember, it's never about the money. It's not about how much you give, whether it's lots or little. Why? Because church at four, there are some people at church at four who have got so much money and there are people at church of four who've got basically no money. It's not about the money. It is about expressing our partnership, being who we are as the family of God. Contentment, partnership, investment. Two different types of investors, aren't there? There's docile and active. 
Docile investors, they just give their money and they don't care. Active, they give and they care. Charity is docile investment. Christian giving is always active investors. Why? Because God wants you to care about the family business. How much does he want you to care? There will be 5,000 more people moving into Orange in the next 10 years. Most of those are going to hell. How are we going to see them meet Jesus and have what we've got? How do we work together as church at four, not to just keep the lights on and pay the bills and make sure our budget is met? No, no, no. How are we going to invest our money so that those 5,000 have eternal life? That's what Christian giving's about. Over 16 years, active investors built this thing so we could worship in a hub of discipleship. In 16 years, what will be the legacy of Church at Four? What will Church at Four invest in with their money? I'll tell you what they want to do. We want to see the lost one. Worship. Have you ever thought of commitment as an act of worship? You know, when you set up your direct transfer in December this year, that's an act of worship. If you're saved by the God of generosity who gave his son in salvation for you, that will be seen in your bank balance. Loving generosity is the mark of a Christian who has been saved by the loving generosity of God. Let's pray. Almighty and good God, we thank you that you are so generous. And we sit here today just saying thank you. Remind us again of how good you are and how wonderfully satisfied and secure we are in what you have and what you do for us. May we enjoy that, Lord, and may that overflow into generosity for your sake and for your glory. Amen.